Welcome to Life in the Cloud, the official podcast of Tuple Technologies. Join us each week to hear from experts in cloud migration and IT management as we talk about the latest technologies and trends in cloud and other exciting new developments in tech. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Life in the Cloud. Today I'm joined by Sri Panditrao from Benchling. Thanks for being here, Sri. You ready to get started? Yeah, thank you for having me, Chris. Awesome. Sri, let's get started with a little bit about yourself. Can you tell us about yourself, where you're from, how you got to where you are? Yeah, so I am originally from India. I studied there, worked for a couple of years before coming to the US and then found my way into you know the CRM space mostly and uh, worked for many companies before landing in San Francisco. So for a number of years, I was in Florida, I was running a team, you know, back in the day, CRM was mostly Siebel before Salesforce really came into picture. And I was running a team there. And, you know, I just realized that I was not even 30. And basically, a manager running a fully functional, fully capable team. And I was like, you know, I need to do something to stay in touch with new technologies that are emerging. And definitely something that was coming up was, you know, everybody moving towards the cloud. And Salesforce was really picking up some steam there. So one of the ways to kind of also get to see what other companies are doing, you know, there was an opportunity that came by where I joined Accenture. And uh, one of the main reasons I took it, that opportunity was to go see what other companies are doing, how are they implementing and, you know, to be a part of a project, it's not mundane anymore, right? You can get to go and experience different companies, different business processes, different challenges, different problems they're trying to solve through systematic solutions. And each company does it differently. So I got the opportunity to work for companies as big as, you know, Fortune 500 companies to all the way to some startups here in the Bay Area. And that basically made me kind of move from Florida to the Bay Area. And as I was doing that, of course, being in the Bay Area, you want to work and experience a startup life. And yeah, that's how I happened to work for a company called Okta. Okta is a identity management provider. And so I started working there. I was, I guess I was in the first 600 employees there trying to help build business systems. So it was go-to-market. So when you talk about go-to-market, it's mostly, you know, Salesforce and everything that's stitched around it. And I spent about four and a half years at Okta, built the team from the ground up there. and now I made this change or I just moved to Benchling. And so Benchling is a similar kind of company. It's a cloud first, it's a technology and software company. And the opportunity was to come and build the team from the ground up for business systems. The beauty is that it's not just go-to-market. This time it's much more broader. So it's got go-to-market, it's got finance, it's got people. So it's the entire stack that you can possibly think of when it comes to business systems. So really, really exciting. And, you know, that the other thing, of course, was not just the role, but just the company. I don't know if you're familiar with Benchling, but Benchling is basically a platform that kind of enables and accelerates research and development, and it's built in the cloud. It has a suite of products, you know, so we are mostly catering to the life sciences and biotech industry. But as the company is growing, we are venturing into new areas such as biofuels, biomaterials, Agritech, you know, so Benchling is in the center of all of this, trying to make research and development faster, as well as, as you may have seen, you know, everyone's experienced COVID, for example. So, so just accelerating research and helping, you know, with data, uh, backing it up with making informed decisions. And it's also a collaboration tool for scientists. So it eliminates, you know, taking away the 
pen and paper that used to be there. So, you know, kind of targeting that. And it was born at MIT in 2012. So I'm really, really proud of what the company does. And it really resonated with what the company is trying to do and tackle some of the problems that are there today. So that and the role, obviously, you know, it was like, okay, this is where I want to go. So that's what brought me to Benchling. Awesome. Awesome. That's a very cool story. It also flows well. It seems like over the years, you developed all the right experiences to get to your current role at Benchling. That's very cool. So about Benchling, to make sure I understand, the product is a platform where you can kind of centralize all of that R&D processes. Yep, exactly. Like so, a modernize all of that, all those pen and paper processes and those kinds of exactly. things. Is that right? Yes. So if you think of it, right, think about it. Traditionally, scientists used to write down all their experiments or their results uh, using a pen and paper. Maybe if they were a little bit savvy, maybe Excel at the most, but or maybe some other you know, notepad or something like that. I don't know. But basically, you know, now you're trying to replace it with electronic lab notebooks. So kind of, you know, that helps you track your data or your experimental results. And then not just that, but it allows you to kind of, you know, back in the day, you didn't know where were certain samples kept in a lab and things like that. So sample tracking is really important too. And then we've built workflows around all of that. And just trying to help scientists collaborate with one another, that's what accelerates, that's what kind of, you know, helps you aggregate data. And then based on that, we have data-driven insights built into the product as well, using machine learning and stuff like that, which kind of helps you accelerate that entire research and development phase, so to speak. That makes sense. Yeah, if you have all that data entry going into the Benchlink platform, you might as well do the analytics, the testing, whatever it is, might as well do it in that platform. And that Absolutely, in turn yeah. probably saves a good amount of time and is probably simpler and uh, yes, less complex. Yes. Yeah, Exactly. And it's simpler and basically it lets you make smarter decisions, right? You have the data to back it up. And yeah, overall, I think, you know, the, this just helps accelerate research. Yeah, yeah. That's very cool. And, and COVID-19 has been an excellent example, for example, in this day and age where the vaccines were produced so quickly. So I think... Science has come along a long way, you know, whether it's the kind of food now that lab grown meat, if you want to talk about it, or kind of the materials that are used like vegan leather or whatever, you know, is made today. We've come a long way in all of those areas, but the technology that backs all of it hasn't. And I think that's the space that Benchling has really, you know, found itself as a leader. And um, I'm pretty sure that, you know, this will only grow as different areas are explored. Certainly, certainly. I would imagine there's a very large and growing market for you guys. I would imagine more or less any, you know, research university with a lab and then all yeah. those big companies, there's tons of companies doing R&D, the big pharmaceutical companies. Absolutely. Can I ask, was uh, Benchling used in any of that uh, COVID vaccine development? Do you know? There were some, yeah. yeah, there were some, but I don't know how much I can go into those details. Yeah, yeah, no worries. But one of the things I can tell you, Chris, is that if you go on our website, you know, it clearly shows. So the founders were at MIT and they were basically running experiments at the bench and they started seeing these problems, right? And of course, that's how you start tackling a problem. And then technology is one of at the center of all of that when you're trying to solve problem. And yes, one of the things that we do is academics. So in the academia world, a lot of the scientists, we actually have a free version of Benchling for scientists to use it and kind of try on the product. And that also helps, you know, because when these scientists go in and start working in the industry, if they've used something and it has worked in the past, you know, that kind of helps us get our foot in the door in those companies as well. 
So it's pretty neat to see like 300,000 plus scientists using Benchlink today and a few of the top pharma companies and life sciences companies using it as well. Yeah, yeah, that's very cool. You said the company was founded in 2012, is that right? Yes, it was founded in 2012 in at MIT. Mm-hmm. And I guess, you know, it was focused so much for academics and, you know, students and doing research that they didn't really go after the whole, you know, the industry that was out there. So I think 2017 is when the company really started seeing that, you know, there was a lot of value. And that's when it started taking off. And here we are, you know, we're more than 500 people in the company now. And it's just grown in the last six months. It's almost doubled our size. Oh, wow. That's very cool. That's a cool story. I love the stories of tech companies that the founders experience a pain point that could be solved by software. So they code up a product. And then from there, they find other people with a similar problem and sell the product to them and so on. And it grows from there. I think that's just innovation and, you know, business solving problems at its core. So I love those stories. Yes. That's awesome. And most companies in the Valley have been, you know, they've been born due to someone seeing a problem and they wanted to get to the bottom of it to try and solve that problem. So yeah, yeah. it's pretty cool how these companies emerge. Yeah, very cool. Very cool. Shreed, tell us more about what exactly you do at Benchling. What is your role? What's your day to day like? Yeah, so I am the head of business systems. So, you know, typically a question comes up is that what are business systems, right? So the systems that are used by people within the organization from different domains, whether it's marketing, sales, finance, product, and any of those different domains, basically these systems are the ones that connect these different domains and let them collaborate and basically execute on a business strategy or a vision. So marketing doing something that helps drive sales in terms of collaboration, right? So how does all of that flow? So, and it's not just that, you know, when you look at each of these domains, marketing, there is a stack of products that the marketing team uses and Benchling being born in the cloud, we have, you know, all our apps that we use are cloud apps. It's just that you tend to, you know, you have so many different technologies that are available now just in the marketing space. So marketing stack itself is like, you'll have various tools that are used for data enrichment, for example, to manage your customers, to engage with your customers. These are all different, you know, tools that you have. Then you move into sales. Sales is a complete different, you know, how do you capture conversations with your customers? How do you, you know, generate proposals or quotes with them? So so the whole quote to cash workflow comes in. If you have services or trainings, how do you enable your customers to go through that process to have buy services or go and, you know, register for trainings and stuff like that. And then, of course, you have the partner ecosystem that can come into picture. You have the finance stack. Finance is a huge animal by itself. And then how do you enable your employees? So employee enablement comes all the way from your HRIS systems all the way, and it kind of overlaps with IT as well. So it's a complete suite of products that I support, and I will be building the team from the ground up. So I'm person number one on the business systems team. And my goal is to, you know, start supporting all these different business domains and functions so that they can basically fuel Benchlink's growth with the help of automation and eliminating operational inefficiencies, so to speak. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So as head of business systems, Mm -hmm. you kind of manage all of those softwares, make sure they're working, make sure they're integrated and so on. Yes. And I'm sure you said Benchlink is about 500 employees. How many softwares do you guys have? Probably hundreds. Oh my, yeah, <laughs> hundreds. Uh, I mean, like I said, right, if you look at just marketing, they probably use like 10 to 15. I might be conservative about the number, but there are just so many tools that 
just the marketing team might be using. And then when you get into sales, you know, you, if you start looking at some of the things that we use, even in the sales process or finance, it's a lot. And you absolutely nailed it where you said integrations. That is mm-hmm. a very, very important, I guess that's very important in terms of connecting all these systems, right? And these systems are connected. Like, just think about it. When you go to www.benchling.com and sign up for a freebie, think about how that all process would work in the back end. Whether it's, you know, now you know that, okay, Chris has signed up, he's a potential lead, he's maybe trying it out for free, but then that becomes a lead. And then that could be converted into an opportunity where Chris could, he works at a company XYZ and they could use Benchling and he could be one of our exec sponsors or whatever it is to get Benchling in that company. And then once that sales process goes, there's the implementation part that can come into picture and then the whole finance. So when we sell it, invoice you, we have to make sure that, you know, we're doing all of that, collect revenue on it. And then you go through the whole, whether, you know, you buy more products or services or you buy or you renew at the end of your term, you know, there's there's that whole life cycle that revolves right around. So when a customer just signs up from a freebie all the way, it's touching all these different systems. So, So you can just imagine how, you know, integration plays an important part in all of this. And yeah, so that integration strategy and platform also falls under my realm of things that I maintain and manage. Mm -hmm. So hundreds of softwares, how does one man manage all of those? You must be working 24 hours a day managing (laughs) all those and building those integrations. No, so Chris, one of the biggest things that has evolved and your podcast says life in the cloud, right? And you know, all these companies now that are emerging are in the cloud. So what has happened from traditional IT systems is that now each of these companies are are tackling one problem and they're trying to be best in class, you know, trying to solve one problem. And when you're like using a platform like Salesforce, for example, there are hundreds of thousands of apps on the app exchange trying to do different things, whether it's data enrichment, whether it's, you know, address validation or whatever it is, right? Whether it's sending something out for signatures or DocuSign has an integration with Salesforce, for example. There are so many different things that are available. And think of app exchange on Salesforce is like, you know, you have an iPhone, you have your app store, you can download apps. It's just pretty much the same way, right? So Salesforce integrates with all these different tools and they come out of the box, they come with, you know, 80, 90% of the use cases that most SaaS companies, they're tailored towards that. Of course, your company can have certain use cases that deviate from the normal, or they're very specific to your industry or your company itself, the business processes that we follow. But out of the box, they meet 80 to 90% of the needs that we have. So there isn't a need to develop or build something from scratch or reinvent the wheel here. And that's what makes the difference. So what happens is now with all of these apps coming into picture, the business, they're very well informed too. They're actually making decisions and we are at the table making these decisions together but there are so many different apps available to solve a particular problem that they they know what they want to solve for and how they want to solve for it so instead of building custom solutions point solutions you know sometimes these apps really get you going and it accelerates some of the business value you can get off the bat so of course i don't have to stay awake and one other thing to call out is all these managed applications that come or prepackaged if you will you know, we don't have access to their side of the code. We can build on top of that with customizations, but we really don't have access to their part of the code. So obviously what happens is I don't have to maintain these apps because any updates, any version updates, they're all pushed automatically by the company that builds them, right? 
so it's not like i have to but of course there are things that you have to maintain in terms of you know there are some governance limits for example or there might be some things that you want to make sure that it doesn't bring your sales force instance down for example whether it's like you know the api limits that get hit or something like that so of course that you have to monitor but things are changing and you don't really have to stay awake 24 by 7 to run these apps that's good to hear Yeah, it certainly makes sense. All the Salesforce and all the other companies, as they see their clients asking for connectors to certain softwares, the Salesforce and all those other companies will see the need and they'll just build the connector and then offer it to their clients. I see. Yeah, and and now Salesforce is, you know, you must have heard that they're acquiring Slack. So mm-hmm. I read an article the other day which said that Salesforce want to change their approach. they want to make it a slack first approach which will change things because at benchling one of the things is that we're a very slack heavy organization so it's nice to see that everybody wants to be on the go they want to be informed they want to be able to update things in salesforce using slack and i think the acquisition that salesforce you know the plans that they made i think it's going to turn out to be really really good to keep us you know we don't really have to necessarily go into the system to make any changes you could probably do it on your phone through the app right so i think that's going to change how we do things and it's just you know an exciting time in this industry right now yeah yeah that'll be very cool to see how that integration plays out between slack yeah. and salesforce Yeah, if you could just update Salesforce or enter things into Salesforce from Slack, then you know there's a little button on the side of the message and whatnot. Yeah, yeah. it's amazing how technology is. It, it works. It's <laughs> just amazing, and you know these are all product companies, so they are thinking about the product twenty four by seven. And I guess there are ideas that these companies are open to capturing through their you know web portals and stuff like that. So they have a product roadmap, and they can just plug in these ideas that come from customers too. So. I think that also kind of gives them the ability to kind of grow their, you know, or expand their footprint in different directions. So, yeah, yeah, interesting. Let's talk again about back to Benchling. I want to know, Shri, what's in the future for Benchling? The future, I think, right now is just growth. You know, we're seeing a lot of growth, and when you see growth, of course, you go through some pain points, and that's why I think it's the right time for me to come in and start building these systems out because. See, when you're small and nimble, you can do a lot of things manually, right? So you can have manual touch points doing, you know, whether it's to update a record, whether it's to push a button or whatever it is, it can be done manually. And you know, with the people that you have, they can just do it because that's the need, right? With me coming in, I think one of the main things that I would like to bring in is how do we find opportunities to automate business processes and take away those manual touch points that exist today. So what's next for Benchling I think as the business grows there's going to be a lot of opportunity for us to think about scale right and scale is I think it's two pieces to it one is how do we scale our business processes we may have developed business processes that worked while we were like 200 people it's not the same when you're a 1000 or a 5000 people organization and also the kind of you know we started off in the life sciences space as i mentioned we're now you know venturing into other areas and that's different kind of growth too right at the same time it's the same for systems so the two pieces when i start building out these systems whether it's a system for marketing automation whether it's our crm platform whether it's just our code to cash or you know implement to support kind of systems that we have or our financial stack or people technology stack one of the things is that the main question that i have to start thinking or i need when i'm implementing or building any solutions is how would it scale and thinking of that scale so one good thing is that 
And that's the exact reason why I wanted to take this opportunity is also, I saw that growth at Okta. We grew tremendously when, like I said, in four and a half years, I think when I joined, we were about 600 and we grew to 4,000 plus. And I left just around the time of the odd zero acquisition. So it would have been even more than 4,000 at that time. But I've seen what it takes to scale in terms of what a scale means. And it could be, you know, employee growth. It could be business growing at the same time. There are growing pains. And I think that's the next stage. Like, how do we make sure that our systems are scaling to support that growth that we're going to see in the coming years? So that's next for Benchling. Yeah, that makes sense. And I could certainly see upcoming challenge for you. You're not just trying to, you know, automate things and make them work today. You also have to think about how is this going to scale? And if it's not going to scale, you might have to come up with a new solution. Exactly. Yeah. And those are the decisions, right? So at this time, I'm helping the team evaluate a lot of different tools. And you know, those tools, when we are evaluating it, there are quite a few that might just work right now for today. But I think it's a constant thing to remind ourselves that, okay, you know, this is going to work today, but may not grow or we may outgrow in six months. So that's the kind of things that we need to kind of remember all the time. And I see that in the startup world, you yourself are a startup, you're trying to help other startups. So you kind of tend to, you know, use one of an upcoming startup's products. And what happens is you may grow and scale much faster than that company that, you know, thinking of purchasing their product. So it may not be, you know, same growth for both companies. So you may outgrow that product pretty quickly. So there's a reason why, you know, you probably, the one thing that I try and think about is even while I was at Okta, right? When we were at Okta, we were trying to build systems or evaluate systems and platforms we used to talk to companies a little bigger than our size, whether they were people from Workday, whether they were people from Splunk at that time, or or the mothership Salesforce, right? So we used to talk to people to understand where are they headed, like for their kind of growth and scale, if Okta is headed in that trajectory, for example, what should we be doing? So same thing I'm trying to do it here, where you know I'm trying to re- correlate it back to what we did at Okta. And if Benchling is going to go through that same you know, hyper growth phase, what are the things that I need to really, you know, use from my previous experience and think about so that we, we are ready for it and, you know, we're not blindsided. And of course, you know, there's still going to be that element where you're making decisions that are right at that right time or that at that time, they're right decisions, but you never know, right? Six months later, you, you don't know what is in store for you. So things might change. Benchling might see even more growth than what we anticipate, or there could be things change in terms of Companies go through, you know, change in or they change gears to go into a different direction. Sometimes that could happen too, but that's unpredictable. You can't predict for that. So when you're making decisions, I think they're the right decisions at that time. So you have to be, you know, really convinced about that. But then, of course, things could change in the future. But you should do your best to evaluate and think about those things just in case so that at that time you'll still make the right decision. Yeah, definitely. A lot to always think about. Obviously, it's always evolving. New technologies are coming out. New companies are coming Absolutely. out. Absolutely. So it's a constant reevaluation of what's going on. Yeah. Yeah. And even, you know, the companies originally when traditional SaaS companies started, they were not usage based. Now, you know, you're moving more towards like you can see companies headed in the consumption based model. It used to be like per user, per month mm-hmm. or whatever. Right. But now that pricing and everything is also changing. So there is a shift there as well. So that changes everything. So I might be looking at a system right now that, you know, it's very straightforward looking at, okay, per user pricing per month or whatever. 
But then six months later, if the company decides to change the model, because that's where the industry is going, then you're going to be, you know, oh, I should have thought of that. So keeping up to date with what's going on in, in the industry, in the market and with other SaaS companies, I think that helps you make those decisions. So even when you're, I'm evaluating any systems, one of the things is, you know, when I'm talking to all these different providers, it's like, OK, show me what other SaaS companies are. What's their model? What have you been doing with them? How have they been using your product and so on and so forth? That just gives you some more points to think about in terms of, okay, how could this relate back to Benchling, for example, right? So mm -hmm. it's important to kind of think through that and uh, make the right decision. Yeah, yeah. Going on that, I want to ask you, as head of business systems, what are some of your biggest problems? Yeah, I guess, you know, some of the biggest problems or challenges is finding the right people, right? These days, I think the biggest thing that I feel that it's hard to see is having someone like who's a unicorn who can do multiple things. So startups are pretty small, right? When I am building this team from the ground up, it's going to start with one, two, three, four people maybe and then grow. It's going to be those two, three people for a long, long time. So finding people who have relevant experience on the marketing side or sales side and integrations, for example, or something else, having overlapping experience with multiple technologies, tools, or areas, business functions also, I think finding that unicorn is really, really challenging. And, you know, just making sure that you're building your team with those unicorns to begin with. Then, you know, as the team grows, you can bring in people who are specialists, but finding people, you know, you can throw them in, in different areas and they can just build things out. That's really, really important. So that's one of the challenges for sure. And then I think the other challenge is once you start delivering projects and stuff like that, the business side of things, they expect you to deliver and be agile and, you know, add value all the time. But of course, there's always, you're going to have challenges in terms of capacity and what you can do with your team. So those are challenges. So making sure that you're all aligned and making that process extremely transparent helps where everybody on the business side that you're working with understands whether it's from marketing, sales, finance, people team, whichever team, you know, they know that, okay, these are the company priorities and how you want to relate to them. So tackling that as well is a problem as you start growing because every team has an important project that they want to do. Either they want to change as we're growing, they want to swap out a, a platform that they were previously using, which kind of helped deliver a small company but then as you see growth now you want to you know move on to much bigger platforms so all of that can happen all at once right so how do you kind of make sure that people understand why you're doing certain things at that time and just prioritizing right so that becomes a challenge as well mm -hmm. yeah yeah makes sense makes sense i want to wrap up yeah. with one final question is there anything that i did not ask you that you wish i asked you or anything else you'd like to mention? No, I mean, I think this was a good conversation. I guess, you know, of course, time is always a challenge, but I don't know if you wanted to get into any other conversations in terms of, you know, what's the operating model or what's the delivery model that my team uses and where are we headed in or where's the industry headed? I don't know if you wanted to kind of talk about that, but yeah, I guess pretty much everybody's headed in the same direction everyone wants to be agile everybody wants to bring value you know drive business value and so yeah i don't know if you wanted to touch uh, yeah, yeah. on those topics yeah actually briefly let's talk about it can you give me the high level view or the summary of those things the operating model the delivery model and so on yeah so traditionally we didn't have cloud technologies i think we were in a very waterfall model right we used to have releases and we used to have deployments once a month and you know Everything that 
could be cramped into that one month we used to be you know delivered or maybe you know it used to be delivered in maybe three releases once in three months and things like that for bigger platforms but now because you know the cloud technologies bring in two things one is configuration and the other thing is of course custom code that you can add on top of it but mostly configuration it becomes very easy to kind of you know iterate and deliver all the time so of course we are more agile we follow the scrum model where we are basically working on two week sprints most of them and i think one of the biggest things is that as you evolve right you start having you know the vision is to have to begin with for me it's like having scrum teams for three different areas one is go to market second is finance third is people technology but you know as this evolves i think we become trusted partners right now it's very transactional the relationship with business because i'm the only one right now especially right but as this evolves and we start delivering value um, i think one of the things that happens is it becomes more of trusted strategic partnership and when that happens it you know you got to start treating even what you're doing in terms of business whether it's just code to cash for example right you need to start treating it as a product and iterate and develop as a product and then at that time you're sitting together with the business trying to understand what is it that they want to try and solve for or what are the challenges and you're basically you know it's one team at that point in time so kind of organically growing in that direction is what i want to do but of course it's going to take some time till we you know finally get there at benchling but that's where we were headed at opta as well certainly certainly i want to ask how do you get to that point but i think it would just takes time yeah the more it takes iterations time. and so on Yes and of course you have to fine tune as you go that's why i think if you've done any agile methodologies it's basically you have a retro all the time right so you're learning of course there are good things that are happening that you want to keep doing because that's something that works for your team to drive velocity or whatever it is but at the same time you want to learn from things that didn't go well right so what are those learnings and how do you incorporate them and try and make use of that so that you're still you know kind of improving so it's kind of measure and adjust measure and adjust right so that philosophy really works is that the philosophy you used at Okta yeah, more or less yeah so yeah. definitely you know and now it's so great that there are different user groups you tend to talk to people because you're buying or you get to meet different people from different companies whether it's social events whether it's you know talking because you're trying to do a reference check because you're interested in the product that someone is using or it may be a you know managed service vendor or a systems implementation partner that you're kind of evaluating and then you end up talking to other task companies that have used them and then when you get into some of the details hey how did you do this you know you start talking about some of the problems and then you realize that okay they are probably doing it the same way but here's what i could do and and when you exchange notes i think that is something also that you can do to just kind of you know fine tune your processes but overall i think where the industry is headed is it's the product model that everyone wants to kind of build around so treat it not like a project but as a product right okay so that's where this is headed can you hone in on those differences between treating something as a project versus treating something as a product? Yeah, so think about it, right? If I am implementing a tool for marketing for example or sales, you know, let's just take an example of marketing automation tool for example, right? If I'm just going to implement it and it's a project that hey, I'm going to do some due diligence, I'm going to evaluate it and then just okay, it meets you know 70 80% of my needs i'm going to bring this in and then kind of build the remaining 20 30% whatever it is that's fine but you have to think about how it's going to evolve in your ecosystem in your tech stack right so making sure that if you treat it as a product and not a project a one time thing right where i'm going to implement it and that's it i'm not going to iterate it's a very different mindset 
it's not a growth mindset first of all it's not a strategic mindset so when you think about it as a product think about it as you know how am i going to make take this product and make things even better how am i going to add those bells and whistles in terms of automation or whatever it is to kind of solve for other problems that are very specific to my organization for example right and how is that going to add business value and scale in the long run so when you're thinking about it you'll automatically think about ways to develop certain things you know the customizations the custom code that you build on top will be using that kind of mindset or framework so to speak to you know kind of evolve it as a product right you know instead of looking at a marketing automation tool think about it how can i look at it as a process which could be campaign to lead for example right or campaign to opportunity the whole cycle like if i'm looking at it end to end that changes the way i look at it as just a tool implementation versus i'm now looking at a process how am i going to you know make things better in this entire process using this tool so that's the difference between the two yeah yeah that's interesting that definitely makes sense i'd imagine the mindset difference going from project to th- thinking of what you're doing as a product it's really a much higher standard mm-hmm. a project you might just all right what are the requirements let's do it and be done with it whereas yep. a product you know you, you really need to understand more about how it's going to be used end to end maybe how it's going to be used in the future maybe six months from now look back at it and see what can be tweaked that certainly makes sense and i would imagine that would make a huge difference to the rest of the company that relies on you for these things yes and it's a two way street right you want the engagement from the business side so they are at the table you know you're making decisions together and it's the relationship between the business and my team is very different in that case then because it's no longer a transactional relationship hey you just need to work on this project for me instead it's more like collaborative we're thinking our goals are the same you know we're trying to solve for the same problems and it just changes the way we think about you know give an opportunity to come up with new ideas and it helps yeah yeah definitely that's very interesting i do like that i i haven't yet heard of anyone come up with that difference thinking of uh through the product mindset instead of the project mindset but i like that yeah that's good great great shri is there anything else you think we should discuss uh no is there anything, anything else? else that you wanted to talk about or you know i don't know if if there were any questions that you had in mind that was all the questions i had people listening to your podcast if they would want to listen to something else i don't know that but uh yeah. happy to answer anything yeah yeah that was more or less all the questions i had and we got into plenty of detail and a lot of other interesting stuff that i did not plan we would get into so Yeah. I think it was great. Yeah. I guess one thing that we didn't get into and I know you wanted to talk about you mentioned that you wanted to talk about cybersecurity but it's not cybersecurity per se but just making sure all these apps are secure and you know who gets to see what and who gets to access what kind of data that still is very important right when you're building these apps so that's definitely something that weighs on and is top of mind for me but of course and fortunately adventuring we are using octa and we're making sure that everybody who is using a particular system is kind of you know going through octa so it makes it more secure for sure but yeah those are the things you know that you have to make sure that the systems when we're building whether it's code config we're looking at the security aspect of it as well Yeah, yeah. Always it's one of those ever present considerations. There's just like the scalability. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, we could have a whole another conversation on yeah. on that. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well, 
That was a great conversation, Sri. Uh, thanks again yeah. for being here. Thank, great conversation. Thank you for having me. Uh, this was I really enjoyed my conversation as well. Thank you so much. Awesome. Yeah, thank you. We hope you found some value in this episode of Life in the Cloud. If something we said today resonated with you, please rate, subscribe, and download our podcast. And share this episode on social media with your network. You can continue the conversation with us on LinkedIn by tagging Chris Reddy, at Chris-Reddy. That's at K-R-I-S-R-E-D-D-Y. In a comment or by sending a direct message. We look forward to hearing from you.